Kim Boudin. Welcome to Milo's Music Parlor, a live music speakeasy and podcast show brought to you by Milo Records New Orleans and itsneworleans.com. Every week we bring to you in our live audience a taste of the musicians who shape the New Orleans music landscape, from the living legends to the young upstarts to those burgeoning national and international acts making the extra effort to stop here in New Orleans, all of whom are performing live music to enjoy the rich musical history of the city that continues to inspire and influence musicians everywhere. Milo's Music Parlor is a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. We're coming to you from Tassology, an art and music cafe here on O.C. Haley Boulevard in the heart of Central City. Today, we're joined by Kelsey May. In a town like New Orleans with its deep-seated history of jazz, Louisiana native singer-songwriter Kelsey May writes her own book. Despite playing prestigious festivals across the country, it is truly Louisiana that Kelsey considers home with her songs about her parents and coming home. Leah Nelson of AXS.com writes... With a voice as delicate as Regina Spector's, but accented with the occasional twang or growl, Kelsey shines on stage. She's not afraid to do the unexpected. Today, we're lucky enough to have her on Milo's Music Parlor. Hi, Kelsey, and thanks so hey, much thanks for, for having me. First of all, I actually like your voice a lot better than Regina Really? Well, that's a huge compliment. For the, for the record, let's just, let's just start <laughs> off on the right foot. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really great to hear. Um, so I did a little research on you, and you have a master's degree, actually, in poetry and creative writing. I do. You also uh, currently do editorial and advertorial work. That's true as well. To what extent... Does the deadline-oriented professional writing experience help or hinder your creative process in writing a song? In writing a song? Yeah. Hmm. Seems like a bit of a switch. It is. It is. Um, Well, the work schedule, in a way, helps the creative schedule. Because since I'm working for several magazines, they all have deadlines at the beginning of the month. So most of my work, work, day job work is uh, takes up last couple, like the last week and the first week of the month. So, so no gigs at the end of the month. Well, no, I still do them. <laughs> it's usually still mostly like you know business hour type work, but um, but it allows me a couple, excuse me, it allows me a couple weeks a month to just be able to focus on music work and songwriting. Um, and so it's just a matter of staying disciplined in those hours that I have off and making sure that I sit down with an instrument and, and start to write and play and practice. So. But it seems like pretty different in nature. I mean, f- in my experience, I used to be a public defender, and I used to ask people a lot of questions with the point of making them look like liars or mm-hmm. stupid. And it, be- <laughs> it was a little hard when I stopped, <laughs> when I started doing podcast shows. Like everything was a leading question, and <laughs> and I just it was really a lot harder than I thought it'd be. Is there some kind of parallel of that in in songwriting versus professional copy editing and and well, most of the 
the work that I do is advertising, co copywriting, you know, so um, there's sort of a, a lie just in that, you know, you're always <laughs> trying to make something sound better than it is. Um, I don't know how much that carries over to songwriting. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself in my songs uh, and lyrics to be um, something that's genuine because mm -hmm. I'm not used to writing genuine things. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, Though I'm sure you truly believe in every product you've written for. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> truly. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... It, I don't know how much it carries over. It may not at all. It's two, two very different things. I think that as an as a ad writer, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, synonyms. So, <laughs> so that, that can, can be helpful sometimes in songwriting. But, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't align too much. And I noticed, in general, you do have songs about your family, your dad and your mom. Mm -hmm. um, is that ever scary? Do you, do you find yourself having to edit, uh, make sh making sure you're, you're not stepping on any? Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. I, well, I don't write about um, my family much. In fact, the reason that I did was very, it was for a purpose. It was because I did a Kickstarter for um, my album, Pennies in Hand, in which I had a tier for, you know, if you, for those of you who don't know Kickstarter is, it's a crowdfunding site where if you want to record a record, your fans can give you so much money and you give them things in return. So one of the things I was giving in return was if you gave me so much money, I'd write you a song or a song inspired by you. And the only people who wanted to pay that much money were family members. <laughs> so then I had to write a song for my mom um, and, and my stepdad and my dad and his family and also my, my grandmother. So that's where those songs came from. And I liked them enough and, you know, enjoyed them. Uh, to put them on my next record, Half Light. But um, it wasn't, yeah, it's not usually that I just feel, I don't know. But you that pulled was it a forced, off. a forced effort in a way, but of course I made it, you know, my own. And uh, I mean, King of Tennessee, you pulled it off. I mean, it's not like, what I find with a lot of singer-songwriters, and I'll probably be banned by every singer-songwriter <laughs> ever, but, you know, in the past maybe 10 years of singer-songwriting, it can be some pretty self-indulgent stuff. That's true. And so I, a lot of mine is I, well. think, I think <laughs> that you write personal stuff without, without making it feel like this is all about Kelsey, like it could be about someone else. I do try to maintain that a little bit. How you do you know? do that? Oh, I don't know. I don't, well, I mean, the King of Tennessee specifically, yes, my father wants to be Elvis, but so do <laughs> I, actually. So, <laughs> so it was an easy, easy song to write. <laughs> So um, I mean, who doesn't? Right, exactly. So I don't know. Um, do Do you see what I'm saying? And why is yeah. it that singer songwriters can't do what they used to do? Why can't? Why are there well, no more Bob Dylan? There are a lot who do it. Um, tallest man on earth comes to mind. He's a phenomenal songwriter um, that doesn't have that sort of cliche. This is my story sort of sound, you know. Well, if I ever see the morning. Just like a lizard in the spring I'm gonna run out in the meadow To catch the silence for its And I'm gonna force the Serengeti To disappear into my I don't know, if maybe it's my poetry background that allows me to have that sort of different perspective on, on a persona, because I know what a persona is versus me, you know? 
Um, so I do try to write with that in mind oftentimes. I mean, sometimes things are just innately personal and they need to stay that way. And so you let that be. But uh, sometimes they're about subjects by James Joyce that right. very few people <laughs> right. have read. Well, and I, I often try to, um, and this is something actually Jason Isbell just said in, a, in an interview that I read, but it, uh, it's something I've also tried to focus on is, is the song being about the observation, not about a story necessarily, but, but an observation, a memory, a detail, you know? And so I try to focus on those kinds of things um, to take that, that out of, I don't know, more, spec more specific to my life or my emotions and let it be more general, something that anyone could observe or feel. Mm -hmm. Ten times I heard my name Ten times I turned back Saw your picture on the wall Saw your past There are so many things I know Tell me something, please Tell me something, I don't Cause I know your picture people what they were or professional musicians what they were listening to in high school um, that's a great question especially folks Very who play root, roots music uh, I hear you were listening to counting everything from counting crows to jewel um, <laughs> busted <laughs> um, I also I was interested also that you listened to a lot of Christian rock and yeah, I was a holy roller up, for a while. Right, a while you grew there. up for a southern, well, <laughs> not right, I didn't know. Uh, but you grew up Southern Baptist. I did. What, in a lot of Americana music, back in the day, church in the South was a heavy influence uh, in mm -hmm. bringing people into music. Uh, can you share maybe a little yeah, bit? Yeah, no, it absolutely was for me. I sang my first solo in church at five years old. I mean, that was my introduction to music. My mom had me in piano lessons at six, and I was in the church choir my whole life, and that's how I learned to, to uh, part of how I learned to read music, and especially uh, harmonies, because my church, I mean, now a lot of uh, Baptist churches have taken on the uh, contemporary Christian service, uh, which is a lot more rock band pop music type sound, but when I was growing up, I mean, we sang those four-part harmonies of those old gospel hymns, and so that's where I, I I got a lot of my influence growing up, and it does have that roots sound, you know, it's, it's just part of that um, genre and, and time period, so yeah, it definitely had a big influence on me, and uh, you know, since I was in church, I was exposed to a lot of Christian rock bands, and <laughs> then I was like, wait a minute, I can play rock music. <laughs> Yeah, is so that when so you forth. picked? Is that when you switched from the acoustic, just the acoustic, to acoustic and electric guitar? Actually, no. I played acoustic guitar almost exclusively until maybe a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. I noticed actually in your, I, I knew you as an acoustic player, really. Mm -hmm. And then, what? When did you decide? When and why did you decide to plug in? 
I think I got, I don't know if how this is, how true this is, because I haven't really thought about this question, but just offhand, I feel like I was pigeonholed a lot of times or stereotyped as the girl with the acoustic guitar. And there's nothing wrong with a girl with an acoustic guitar, and so it's really unfortunate that Not people... Not that there's anything wrong with that. There isn't. There absolutely <laughs> isn't anything wrong with it. But it's frustrating because I would get treated by venues or festivals as a certain way, like, oh, you're not festival music, oh, you're not Frenchman Street music, or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, it was very frustrating, and so I think that might have had something to do with it. I also started listening to musicians who were, you know, incorporating different sounds and textures, and I think I was getting a little tired of just the acoustic sound. I think I wanted to play with some effects and see, you know, what, what different sounds did to my songs, so. And then the Christian rock came out in you. The roots, the roots of Christian rock. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, granted, I was listening to a lot of secular music, too, so I'd, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say who had more influence, but um, yeah. you're, you're talking about, actually, a lot of the guests here have talked about the Beatles' influence in their life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the Be- I, mean, I have a Beatles lyric tattooed on my, on my arm there. And what is it? Greet the brand new day from Dear Prudence. typewriter font <laughs> for those of you listening at home uh but yeah I grew up listening to the Beatles that was probably my first sort of obsessive band my my buddy Justin and I in elementary school we got super into the Beatles and that's kind of followed me my whole life mm-hmm. but I heard before the guitar maybe maybe not you were a trumpet player mm-hmm. a killer trumpet player killer talk to us about that was career it. first chair <laughs> Yeah, that was a short-lived career. It was, uh, it was as long as I had braces, in fact, which was maybe two years. So yeah, I, uh, I started playing trumpet in fifth grade. I got my braces on shortly thereafter. So I developed my whole embouchure while I had braces. Oh. And then uh, in eighth grade or sometime around then, when my braces came off, I completely lost it. And it was really devastating because I, I was actually pretty good at it, and I was, you know, like first chair, and it's like kind of devastating to have like 12 people it. sitting behind you, and then they're looking at you like, why can't you hit that note, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I got kind of depressed over it, but that's actually when I picked up guitar. So you're like, can I get the braces yeah. back? Right. No, <laughs> <laughs> except, no, I w- did not want the braces back. Doesn't quite fit in with the Americana yeah. image. That and I, cool. thought maybe, I thought maybe being attractive was more important than playing the trumpet, so I neglected <laughs> to put the braces back on, but... <laughs> I, I, was a, I was in high school at that point, you know, that, that kind of stuff's important. What kind of music were you playing on the trumpet? Band. Band. The concert band stuff, you know. I was in the jazz band and the concert band, um, but I don't remember too, all too well what, what we played. You just kind of blocked it out. You're just yeah. like, look, <laughs> not looking back to that career <laughs> that was killed by Well, I just prefer to think of it as my transition into a guitar player. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Aside from playing music and writing, because that's probably not enough. Um, it sounds like you're pretty involved with some of the issues that touch everyone's life in this room with the violence of New Orleans. Um, do you, you do you work with Apex? Do you volunteer? I actually with them don't. No, I should be. I should be way more involved than I am. Um, and the fire you referred to 
Yeah, the song "The Fire" I, I is sort of inspired by um, the epidemic of youth violence that we have here in the city, and uh, it hit close to home for me um, when a neighbor of mine was shot and killed. And uh, you know, this was—it hasn't really changed much since then. This was a couple years ago, but I mean, it felt like every day, every time you turned on the news, another child was killed. You know, and. Uh, I feel like in New Orleans it's really easy to ignore it, and I had been ignoring it. I've lived here for 14 years, and it took me that long to finally decide that I should get involved somehow and try to try to make a change. So um, yeah, so the fire was inspired by that. We uh, uh, we me and my buddy Alex put on a fundraiser for Apex Youth Center. They do a lot of work to provide a safe space for kids here in Central City, and um, so we did that. And I and we hope to make that a yearly event. Awesome. We should start working on that. Yeah. I bet I can think of a good venue. Yeah, I can think of a good venue too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So Apex Youth Center, p- you should check them out online. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're they have their own website, uh, and and they do really incredible work. And um, it's definitely something that more people need to spend some time and energy on in the city. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very easy to desensitize yourself or think it's not in my neighborhood. Right. But it's like. Blocks, and it maybe. took it. I think it took it being in my neighborhood for mm-hmm. me, for me to really decide it was time to to um, take a step. Which which is it sucks, you know. Yeah. I like, guess embarrassing for me to say that, but but we're human. Is, and we right? have our lives, and we forget about everything around us sometimes when you have deadlines. And yeah, it's easy to be busy and to have other things to focus on. Well, now I'm going to open it to the audience. I know there are actually some professional question askers. Here, so I want to see if anyone has any uh, questions. Hi, Kelsey. Uh, Hello. So I'm curious what your next step is in terms of, um, with your music, both in terms of developing your music, but in, in terms of expanding your audience as well. So mm-hmm. what's, what's the business plan for Kelsey May? The business plan. <laughs> Man, I went to Loyola and was a double major in English and music business and had to write a business plan. and. It was great, and I learned a lot, and also I feel like now I can't stop. I can't turn off that side of my brain that knows I need to be focused on business stuff. Uh, So it's sort of a blessing and a curse because I don't know if I have any business sense or not. Maybe I do. Some people tell me I'm really well organized. But um, I'd rather just be an artist, to be honest with you. (laughs) You know, I'd rather just be able to focus on songwriting and performing. But uh, I know that I can't uh, exclusively, so... um, so what's next? I don't know. I am working with a new, a couple of new booking agencies. Uh, one is here locally. It's called IK Bueno, run by uh, my buddy Alex Mulvena. And uh, so Alex is f- focusing on some local booking and fundraising, uh, not fundraising, well, he does the fundraiser with me for Apex, but um, also uh, some festival stuff. And then I'm working with a booking agency out of New York called Least of All. And they have me touring now uh, about three or four days a week every couple of weeks doing regional tours. So right now, I'm just focused on trying to get my name out there and my music out there you know, to nearby markets that I can, I can play regularly enough that to develop a fan base. And, um, but really, the plan is just to write that one song that somebody with a lot of money can't turn down, <laughs> you know? <laughs> some TV show or some right. ad, Some actually. TV show, some record label. I'm not really sure. At this point, I'm willing to hear anyone, you know? But we'll see. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. 
Uh, my question is, um, from living in New Orleans for this long, uh, what kind of, like, besides from, I, I feel like obviously lyrically there are some things about New Orleans that you've brought into uh, the song, but stylistically, do you feel like New Orleans music in general is, has had uh, an influence on your uh, musical style here? I certainly can't say that it hasn't, um, mm -hmm. but I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't catch myself, you know, playing with that New Orleans beat. <laughs> yeah. I have had a couple drummers be like, oh, this is a good song for that second line beat, you know, and they'll start oh, right, playing right. it. But to, <laughs> to say that, that <laughs> like, I am thinking, like, oh. I think you can hear it a little bit on my new record, actually. I mean, we, my co-producers and I brought in some horn sections to do some stuff. and oh, okay, uh, cool. So it's kind of a mix of roots and Americana with, with there's a little soul on one song, and a little, you know, there's, a, there's some different kind of genres that enter into it. S and then some blues guitar and that kind of stuff. So it definitely has, I'm sure. But I don't know how it affects my song writing. Right. Maybe more the production, you know? Uh, it's a little more subtle. Yeah, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think. But I mean, certainly it has in some way, you know, that, that freedom to sort of be different and, and do what you wanna, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that I can definitely appreciate. Okay. Uh, before I let you talk about uh, some of your future things you want to pitch, I, I need you to tell everyone the story about your dad and Wagon Wheel. Because I think that story <laughs> is really hilarious. <laughs> okay. Dad, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I love Old Crow Medicine Show, and I first saw them <coughs> in New Orleans back, I don't know, it was a long time, pre-Katrina. They opened for Gillian Welsh at Tipitina's. And that was my first introduction to them, and I bought the CD, and that was when I heard Wagon Wheel, and I fell in love, and I don't know, I started covering it at some point, not too long after that, and so now it's like kind of a regular part of our set list, depending on the night and the venue, and um, so then, you know, Darius Rucker decided to cover it, former Hootie and the Blowfish lead singer, now country singer, and so it's on country radio, and my dad heard it on the radio and called me up and was like, Kelsey, your song's on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like, yep, sure is, Dad. I love that I'm a millionaire. <laughs> Just forgot to tell you. Do you have Bless any? Bless his heart. That's what we say down here. Bless, <laughs> his, Bless his heart. <laughs> You don't have an accent, though. Is that uh, I used to. transition? I was just going to ask. <laughs> you left to. that with the Christian rock. I've been rock. here for 14 years, and I was an English major. And so, I don't know, enunciation, it, it's important to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what, you should think about bringing it back if you tour well, Europe, Well, I can though. here and there. I can talk like this a little <laughs> bit, you know. Back home in Shreveport, where I'm from, <laughs> we like to... Anyway. Uh... So I got rid of it, yeah, somehow. But I think in New Orleans, people don't really have accents. I mean, granted, if like people who are from here, from here, have accents. But in New Orleans, like in the city, like if looking around the room, how many people are from New Orleans? Right. Not a soul raised their hand. So it's like you're surrounded by people from all over the country, and all of those accents combined just kind of create a. It's like they all zero one another out. You know, it's like there's no, there's nothing to pick up. I've had to work with a lot of bankers here who are born and raised New Orleanians, and it almost sounds like they're from Boston to me. Yeah. It doesn't sound yeah, like what say that. you I would just agree did with you. on the microphone. Oh, no, the Shreveport accent is a very Texas accent. Mm -hmm. Shreveport's three hours from Dallas. It's less than an hour from the border of 
Louisiana, Texas. So it definitely has an East Texas feel to it. You want to, so. it's so charming. You really, you <laughs> should whip it out every so often. I did hear a story recently. A friend of mine uh, was talking about, oh, we'll leave the names out. Um, but there was a band that was touring through, and the lead singer was from Birmingham. And uh, he, on stage, he talked with a very thick Alabama accent. And my friend who was, you know, exposing me to the band was like, yeah, he didn't have that accent until he went to art school in New York and then <laughs> came back. And I thought, oh, that's like a marketing thing right there, you know? So maybe you're right. Maybe I need to talk like Shreveport. <laughs> I'll work on that. <laughs> that should be part of my business plan, right? <laughs> be more genuine. Um, any links or uh, projects you want to share with everyone? Uh, I don't really have projects. I'm doing a lot of a lot of uh, regional touring, so you can definitely look online and see where I'm playing, which is uh, KelseyMay.com, K-E-L-C-Y-M-A-E. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Milo's Music Parlor. Thanks so much for joining us at home, at work, on your phone, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. This has been a production of It's New Orleans and Milo Records New Orleans and sponsored by WTL. And a very special thanks again to today's guest, Kelsey May. Our show today was produced by Kim Budin and Taylor Smith. Our technical director is Taylor Smith. Our logistics director is Mark Tobler. The theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Roman Jasmine. Milo's Music Parlor was recorded today at Tessology Art Cafe, located on the historic O.C. Haley Boulevard in New Orleans. For more information on how to attend one of our live performances, check us out at www.milorecordsneworleans.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Milo Music Parlor shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True to the Game, Midnight Menu Plus One, and Louisiana Eats. Milo's Music Parlor is produced by INO Broadcasting or itsneworleans.com and Milo Records New Orleans. For everyone here at Miles Music Parlor, thanks for joining us today. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.